Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. This is Real Science Radio. I'm Fred Williams. And I'm Doug McBurney, Bible student, science geek, amateur comedian. It's good to be back with you, Fred, talking about real science on Friday. Well, Doug, it's great to have you back, especially after all the storms you've been weathering down there in Southern California. I heard you oh, even man. had a tornado down there in San Diego. How, that's got to be pretty yeah. rare. I don't know that I've ever heard of it. And it, so it was a tornado warning. As far as we know, the tornado never actually touched the ground. But uh, yeah, it was pretty freaky. A little scary. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, Doug had to drop out of our interview last week with Dr. James Tour. That was a great interview. And we're going to play the rest of that interview on today's show. But Doug, I guess your internet went out, and I'm sure it's probably well, from it all was, that water damage and maybe that. That's right. It was that, raining, that Fred. When it rains here, nothing works. It's it's kind of like when it snows <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> that's like in Missouri. If you get one inch of snow, everything shuts down. But you know, in Colorado, where we're used to it, you know, you'd have to have a couple feet before things start to shut down here. But yeah, so you had to drop out, and we were, were able to finish that interview. We had some great stuff. In fact, he talked about some real promising research that he's been doing with a team of his on cancer and you know attacking even the most invasive types like pancreatic cancer. So that's going to be really cool to get into that. And Doug, he also oh, yeah. talked about research he's doing with graphene. And if you remember graphene, that's something that you had brought to Real Science Radio, something you became interested in. And we did a show on that, I don't know, maybe about a year ago that we'll link to. Someone in our audience had asked if we had heard about, was there graphene in, in the COVID vaccine? Oh, yeah. I remember. <laughs> and, and so not only did I not know if there was graphene in the COVID vaccine, I didn't know what graphene was. I hadn't really heard of it or been aware of it. And when you start looking into it, it's pretty amazing and the, the the possibilities are phenomenal and but the production of graphene is is difficult expensive dirty and that's apparently what dr tour is involved in is is trying to figure out how to make it yeah exactly yeah cool. you had done so much you ended up really got involved with researching graphene if i remember you spent like at least a couple weeks before we did the show so we'll, we'll again yeah. link back to that, and Dr. Tour is going to talk about that. So I just want to quickly mention, we talked about all the rain in Southern California, and I just want to remind the audience that Bob Anyar was an advocate of earthquake research. Bob was convinced mm -hmm. that if the governments of the world would spend more time, effort, and money working on how to predict earthquakes instead of focusing on how to break up families and replace fathers with welfare checks and all the other things government does. Bob was an advocate that we could save a lot of lives, prevent a lot of damage and a lot of misery because the earth is young. 
The crust of the earth is relatively unstable due to all kinds of catastrophic activity. And so Bob knew that earthquakes are not only a, a problem throughout history, but they're going to get even worse because of the nature of the world. And so I was just informed of a, a theory about earthquakes that relates to all this rain that's been happening in Southern California. So it's been raining here for most of the last three weeks, and it might rain another week from now. We might get another one of these atmospheric rivers, and the ground is soaked, saturated. There's nowhere for the water to go except to run across the land toward the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of gallons of water, you're putting an awful lot of weight on a part of the earth that's already seismically active, unstable. And yeah. so I'll link to an article that I read that's just really interesting because there have been earthquakes, at least theoretically, possibly linked to flood events in the past, back when the Colorado River used to flood out here before the Hoover Dam and all that. And so all this water could mean... Southern California is, well, all of California is a lot more vulnerable to earthquakes uh, until this water event ends. And I just wanted to mention that because I thought Bob's opinions and efforts on behalf of earthquake prediction will prove to be yet another one of the prophetic things that, that Bob's worldview and his relationship with the creator gave him insight on that, that we, we may not realize until years and years from now. Yeah. It's really so, yeah, you've had record rainfall out there. In fact, I think your Los Angeles river is actually a river now, right? <laughs> you see, you can actually see videos. Most people know of the Los Angeles river and you laugh at it because it's a giant concrete culvert that's usually full of dust and like broken down cars and homeless encampments, but not, not now. It's it's running, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned the earthquake stuff, and of course that has a tie-in with the hydroplate theory. You're in that ring of fire area where you can get earthquakes more often. You're in a very seismically active area. And the hydroplate theory talks about how the Pacific Basin sunk in and you still have this seismic activity and if scientists would just look at different approaches at what causes earthquakes, because the hydroplate theory has the best explanation for them. And Doug, I, I guess I'd want to warn you, if you see any lightning leaving the surface of the earth and going up, you know, towards the clouds, you might want to duck and take cover because that could mean <laughs> right. earthquakes are happening, right? Because people right. used to doubt earthquake lights. They thought it was like a myth or just people's imaginations, you know, like UFO type stuff. But no, over time, secular scientists actually came to realize earthquake lights are real. And what they are is the granite and the voltage that's formed with the plates moving around, Doug, and causing yeah, yeah. this plesioelectric effect. You create electricity and you can get lightning actually shooting from the ground and going up into space. It's pretty uh, interesting yeah. stuff. And we've done shows on earthquake lights. And, you know, we'll have to do another show in the future and talk about earthquakes, but that's a great point. I didn't think of that. So you've got so much water that that's threatening. That could cause an earthquake. Wow. Okay. Well, it, it, it doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, how was your Valentine's Day, by the way? We just got through another one of those holidays, so to speak. Ah, yes, yes. Valentine's Day. So, you know, 
my wife and I, we, we generally don't do anything elaborate on Valentine's Day because we generally don't do anything elaborate on, on any holidays, but especially <laughs> Valentine's Day. We were together. It was romantic at times, and it was very nice with some good food and some good conversation. And just to be with someone for 30 some, uh, I should probably nail this on the nose or I'll get in trouble. Uh, 30, uh, well, it'd be 36 years at some wow. point this year. Let's okay. just leave it at that. And married for well over 30. And so it, it was, it was wonderful. And I, I like Valentine's Day. I used to think it was kind of a hokey holiday, but that was before the world went to war against normalcy. Yeah, And now I see Valentine's Day as just one more relic of normalcy that the left is just intent on tearing down. And so I like Valentine's Day more and more, actually. <laughs> I think Valentine's Day is really Cupid. Oh, no. <laughs> that was bad. Please okay, yeah. shoot me. <laughs> oh, no, not an arrow reference. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't go down that yeah. road, Doug. Don't do it. Well, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for, I think, 32 years. Yeah, I better get that right, too. So, uh-huh. um, But Valentine's oh. Day, it's funny. You're Valentine's right. Day to me, I was kind of like bah humbug because in my dating life before I met my wife, I never had a girlfriend on Valentine's Day. It was always some other time. And I kid with my wife about that. And truth be told, I'm probably subconsciously looking for a way to, out of having to give her flowers on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but <laughs> she sees right through it, and we do celebrate it. We went out to dinner this last week, a nice meal. Anyways, back to the business at hand. We do have quite a show planned today for everybody. Again, we're going to get into James' tour at the end of his interview. But Doug, of course, we can't skip our interesting fact of the week. But before we That's even start right. that... You really nailed it last week. I mean, it's the first controversy we've had on our new segment, which really I could even call it Stump the Co-Host. But this time, <laughs> well, I you kind of hit it, it out of the park. I was really surprised, actually. You surprised both me and Dr. James Tour when I asked you what's the largest organ in the human body. And the, the correct answer is supposed to be liver. All but right. you said the interstatium? Interstatium? Well, so... I. I actually pronounced it as I had heard it, which was interstitia. Ah. And so I'll link to this article, too. I want to talk about this because there's still something of a, I don't know if I'd call it a controversy, but it's not a settled issue. And so when I read the article, I thought, you know what? There's a pretty good chance that this is actually a, a functioning organ in and of itself. It's not just space. And so I'll link to the article from 2018, and you be the judge, but I have not been able to find any ongoing debate or responses to the article. But we'll post it up because since we do have the brightest audience in the country, it's possible they could find us an update and let us know what's happening with the interstitium. Well, you know, eventually science comes around. For example, they they eventually realize there's a 10th continent, Zealandia. And maybe they'll eventually say, hey, there's actually this new organ. They add it to the list of hundreds of organs we already have. And hopefully it won't be the it won't be like the mythological things when they add millions and billions of years to whatever crackpot theory (laughs) they have. But, Doug, I had to give you that one. That one surprised me. But 
It's like Jeopardy. You know the show Jeopardy where every now and then after the fact they find out that a contestant answered something actually correctly but oh, not man. the way they expected. It was another way to answer a question that was accurate. So right, right. Your, your response was a reasonable possibility. So I have to give you that one. So I, I don't know if we'll ever have another controversy on interesting fact of the week, but you know, I guess we'll find out. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I wanted to prepare for the interesting fact of the week, but since I don't know what it is, there's really, there's no way for me to prepare. So you just got to lay it on me. All right. So here's our interesting fact of the week. So Doug, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, Takasubo cardiomyopathy is a condition that is commonly called either true love syndrome or forever single syndrome or broken heart syndrome. And again, that's Takasubo Takasubo cardiomyopathy. And I'll leave it up to the audience to send in, uh, email me if I mispronounce that. And I might may have because I forgot to look that up before the show. Oh, okay. Well, so Taco Subo sounds like some kind of mashup between Mexican food and Japanese food. <laughs> and then cardio, heart, mayo. I'm going to go with uh, true love syndrome. True love. <laughs> oh. Actually, you were close when you thought of, you know, the myopathy, like bad. It's broken heart syndrome. Oh, myo, bad. I I need to work on my Latin. Ah, Broken heart syndrome. I've heard of that. Oh, oh, have you? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but, you know, Fred, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, I was was going for true love. Yeah. I guess I did kind of throw you off by saying in the spirit of Valentine's Day, you know, it is, it is stump the co-host. That's it. That's the subtitle of this section now. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a bonus question, Doug. So according to an 80 year study from the University of California, which gender had a longer life expectancy as a married person versus a single person? So which gender oh. lived longer as a married which? person versus single? So which gender? First of all, Fred, now this is a this is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I hope people don't get annoyed. But whatever you're reading was obviously written after 1990. Because before about 1990, when we wanted to talk about male and female, we talked about sex. Which sex survives longer as a married person is how that would have been written back before yeah, we that's all a good point. decided to go insane. But yeah, anyway, again, it, and it relates back to the same type of insanity. I, f- I forget what Dominic Enyar calls it on his show. I think he calls it creepy, weird sex stuff. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah. you can't say the word sex in a biological uh, context anymore because sex means creepy, weird sex stuff. That's uh, you get, anyway. It's it's all it's all a big mess. And but so you but have trust a fifty-fifty shot here. Okay, yeah, at least there's, at least we know there's only two, even if you want to call them genders, right? Yeah. There's, there's yeah, only two, there's a, male and female. Yeah, you don't have a 25% chance, you got a 50% chance. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so who lives longer? Obviously, the woman lives longer. Oh. Oh, no. Yeah, so actually, that was my first intuition, but if you think about how this question is written... Which gender had a longer life expectancy as a married person? So there's this thing called the Terman Life Cycle Study. 
It's an ongoing project started in 1921, and it found that steadily married men were likely to live substantially longer than divorced or remarried men, whereas divorced women lived about as long as they would have if they had stayed married. So, yeah. And it reminds me of other studies and actually life insurance. You just look at life insurance rates. If a guy's wife dies, his life insurance rates will go up without question because studies show that guys don't do well when their spouses die. But it's funny, if if we die and our wives are left behind, they're still here, their life insurance rates don't really go up. I mean, you know, it's... (laughs) Right, right. I would hope that my wife cares that I, you know, they do, you know, I'm sure they care if we die and they get sad for a while, but God built them so much better as far as emotionally. Men and women are different. But of course, equal in God's eyes, but he built women more emotionally robust. And so they handle stuff like that better. They probably grieve better, whatever. And it just, over time, it doesn't impact them like it does a guy. So, you know, again, there's two things that makes a guy's insurance rate goes up. And that's if he retires too early, retires without something to do, or his wife dies. So anyways, a couple of Valentine's interesting facts, Doug. Well, that makes sense now. So so I had thought, like in the McBurney family, I'm pretty sure all the women outlive the men as far back as I can recall. And, and, and you're right, they grieve for a little while, but then it's kind of like they're on vacation. They're like, okay, <laughs> like, I can take it easy now. They, they live a nice, long, robust life. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yep. Well, anyways, Doug, we probably should get to the rest of Dr. Tour's interview. Let's run the tape. Oh, yes. I'd like to let our audience know that Dr. Tour is also involved in a lot of research, a lot of real positive research. Rice University is known for this, and Dr. Tour is at the forefront of it. And Dr. Tour, could you quickly comment on uh, one of your recent projects you're working on? And this is from a headline, Cancer Cells Destroyed, Vibrating Molecules Achieve 99% Destruction in Lab Study. Is that something you have time to elaborate on? Yeah, this is uh, one of my the postdocs working in my group. He came up with a new concept. We've been working on molecules, molecular machines for years. We first put them in little cars to push the cars along. And then in 2017, we published a paper where we took these little nanomachines that you excite with light. And those were excited with ultraviolet light. And then they would drill into cells. And then we moved to uh, a visible light where we could then activate them. The big question was, could we have a molecule working in the near-infrared region? Because near-infrared light passes through the body very well. So in other words, you could get five or 10 centimeters of penetration through the human flesh. So now you could really go after diseases that that were deep inside the body using a near-infrared light activation. So he came up with a molecule that does that. So these molecules will interface with a cell. They'll insert into the lipid bilayer of the cell. And then you shine a light on it from outside the body and the molecule will start vibrating. It vibrates at a million, million vibrations per second. So that's a trillion, a trillion, a million, million vibrations per second. And it's like a little sonicator. It just liquefies the lipid bilayer of the cell. The cell explodes and dies. And so we've used that now to address cancer and we're moving it into super bacteria and we've used it, we're moving it into other modes of, of treatment. But that's what that is about. These are little nano machines that are activated to either spin or vibrate when they get hit with light. And this is a specific wavelength of light and a specific intensity. It's not like the sunlight can do this. 
Wow. How far along are you? I know that the approval process would take a long time. Are, are you making headway as far as getting something like this where it's ready you know, for the public to use? I know that could be years out, unfortunately, with the way things can move slowly. But how's that aspect of it coming along? Yeah, it is years out. We have done all the mouse experiments on melanoma, which is skin cancer. We're now moving into pancreatic cancer, which is a particularly deadly form, very, very quick acting type of cancer. And there's reasons for that because you can't, you can't do surgery on a tumor that's in the head of the pancreas because you have a main artery there that runs right through the middle of it. And you can't use sufficient radiation because you destroy the duodenum, which is right behind it. And so we're working on that type of cancer. And the mouse experiments are going on now, the the experiments in rodents. And uh, there is a company, we've started a company around this, and they're supposed to be pushing this from the medicinal end to push it onto the market. But okay. that, that's out of my hands. Once it gets in the company, their work is separate from that. Gotcha. Is there any way that our listening audience can help? You said there's a company or is there any other, you know, maybe some kind of financial help of any kind? Well, uh, let me put it out there that many people have seen this and they have cancer and they, they want to donate themselves for treatment. It's not even to that point yet. Let me put it in perspective from a lab finding until something is on the market. It's generally 12 to 14 years. Even yeah. with right to try, it's still going to be four to five years from. So, so even in, in a case where a person has no other solution to their treatment, it could be four or five years. The company, the name of the company is called Nanorobotics, and they're certainly in fundraising mode. But again, I am, I'm not an officer or director of the company, and it's a conflict of interest for me to talk about mm-hmm. that in, in that sense. Okay. So, so yeah. I have, I have no control of the company, and they're trying to push that along themselves. And if some of your listeners are believers in the Lord, you can certainly pray that the Lord continues to give wisdom and, and push this thing along. And if you're interested in contacting that company, it's the company's name is Nanorobotics, and you can contact them. But that don't go through me for that because I try to be separate, or else for me it becomes a conflict of interest. So, Doctor Tour, is there any other research that you would like to share with us that you're involved in? That's really neat about these vibrating molecules to help solve what could be really serious cancer. Yeah, pancreatic is obviously one of the worst, but do you have other research you're involved in right now? We've actually started 14 companies in the last nine years. And uh, one of the big efforts that we have is around something called flash jewel heating. And through this, we were able to convert any carbon material. The vast majority of what we throw out in our homes, 85, 90% of it is carbon-based. If it's not glass and it's not metal, it is carbon. And we can take any carbon material, whether it be waste food, trash, coal, petroleum, coke, whatever it may be, and we can put it between two electrodes with high voltage and convert it into graphene. Graphene is single atomic sheets of graphite, different layers of this single atomic sheets of graphite that can be put in composite materials. It's very lightweight, super strong. And so this is going into asphalt markets, going into parking lots of outside the building where this is being demonstrated, but it can triple the life of an asphalt road. It's going into concrete, it's going into plastic composites, and uh, it's going into rubber tires to strengthen the rubber tires. And graphite is already known in the world. It's just that we didn't have access to these single atomic sheets. Graphite is part of our world, so it's not like we're introducing a totally new type of material. 
around this. We also have a company that's also able to convert uh, waste plastic into graphene or waste plastic into carbon nanotubes that are also going to be used to uh, enhance electrodes and be used in composites. And then we're using a similar technology to clean up the environment where we can put electrodes into the ground to remove contaminants such as heavy metals, such as oil products and such as PFAS. This is, this is poly and perfluorinated alkyl substances, which are contaminating a lot of our water systems. So we've learned how to degrade that. We can take old wind turbines, old aircraft, which were normally just landfilled. Those are made out of uh, glass and carbon mixed together, glass, plastic, or carbon fiber and plastic. And we flash those that turns into silicon carbide, which has many uses as an enhancement material, it's a very hard material. And so we're trying to take the waste that people generate, electronic waste, electronic waste is the fastest growing waste in the world, what we do with our cell phones, what we do with our devices, what we do with our car batteries. And we're learning how to recycle all of those and not just recycle, but also upcycle, make them more valuable through these techniques. And at very low energy, the amount of energy we have to put in, say to take coal and turn it into graphene is about $30 per ton. It's one of the cheapest manufacturing wow. routes you could, you could even think of. So we have all of these going, the electronic waste, we're pulling out all the metals because metals should be, in theory, infinitely recyclable. And so we just throw them out and we do more mining and then we throw it out, we do more mining. But can we just take this waste, all these printed circuit boards that you guys generate in your company? that are toxic waste and server farms get rid of them every three years. We flash them, we get all the metals out, and now we're learning how to separate the metals one by one, bring them out with different flashing units and uh, different flashing parameters. And then what's left over is clean enough to be agricultural soil in the state of California. So it's going to be a great advance for humankind, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. So I know this would have been music to the ears of my co-host, Doug, who unfortunately had to drop off because of technical difficulties, but he actually researched graphene and we did a show on it, Dr. Tour, some time ago that we'll link to, but that's really cool. And you found a low cost and low energy because a lot of times power can be a real problem, the expense of power. And it sounds like you're able to do this, you know, without expending a lot of energy that's a huge plus in itself. We, we just had a guest two weeks ago talking about artificial intelligence and the enormous amount of power that you need to make that thing work. I mean, it, much more than like the salaries you pay all the engineers working on it. So the fact that you can do this at the power that you just mentioned, that's incredible that you can get how many tons? The amount of electrical input that we need is $30 per ton. $30 per ton. That's per really ton. good. That's that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and so this is really going to lower the price. It's not going to be sold for $30 a ton. It's going to be sold <laughs> for a lot more than that. But it's going to lower the price and allow it to enter into markets it never could have gotten into before. Yeah. Making something like that affordable, like graphene, graphite. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yes. Are you yes. actively involved in that uh, research? 
Oh, yeah. We're actively involved. We're doing more on it all the time. We've started several companies around that, companies for each type of material that could be made by these flash jewel heating techniques, companies to look at the soil remediation, companies to deal with the different types of toxic materials that there could be that are generated. So we just look at the problems that humans have have generated, and we try to solve those problems. And these are solvable. I mean, and, and we're looking at CO2 capture in very robust ways really large amounts of carbon dioxide and just leveraging what the planet does for us already, leveraging that to help us to to remove more carbon dioxide. Now, we don't want to remove it all, but if people say that carbon dioxide is an existential threat, if they really believe that, then we need some serious ways to go about doing this. And in my opinion, the serious ways to go about doing this are not trying to decrease the exhaust from an automobile or capture even what's coming out of a power plant. We need some really big methods to do this if it is an existential threat. And so we have to partner with the planet to do this. Now, again, there's a lot of controversy on these points, but uh, we study these things that may be affecting humankind and human waste and human activity. And we say, can we do this more cleanly? And then we, we devise methods to do this. So, and like I said, I mean, we have uh, three or four pharmaceutical companies we've started, several materials companies. I've got a, actually an electronic memory company that's gone public. So we work across a whole host of areas for building and construction and materials and pharmaceuticals and electronics. And that's the good thing about being a professor. You can kind of do anything you want to do as long as you can raise the money to do it. <laughs> well, this is being a really good steward of the earth, and that's what we're called to do. You know, sometimes I think Christians put too much of a negative connotation on environmental ideas and trying to make things better for the environment. We had Dr. Paul Homan on, who does talk about the whole carbon dioxide is really being overblown. Mm -hmm. He was a lead meteorologist at the Air United States Air Force Academy, but he did talk about where he lives near an area where they were throwing garbage into the river and just polluting it and making life bad for everybody. So this is one of the ways we can be good stewards of the environment. And I, you know, it sounds awesome what you're doing. Offline, Dr. Tour, I'd like to get links that you can give us to provide for people. If you have anything you'd like to share where they can go visit, find out more about this, but that's really neat. I appreciate that you're, uh, that you're doing that. Yeah. And I, well know about the controversies on, on CO2. But like I said, I think these little things that we're doing are essentially nothing, essentially nothing. And uh, we're going to spend an awful lot of money. But there are ways to really suck up a lot of CO2 if you want to. You know, if it is an existential threat, if you really believe that, then we have to take big steps. And so, yeah, these these are things that we're working on. And we want to take a sober view of these things, not not just a reactionary view. Okay, well, Dr. Tour, we're almost out of time. I did want to thank you again for coming on Real Science Radio. And I really appreciate you had another YouTube short where you talk about how you shared Jesus Christ with somebody at Harvard, which is just neat that have those kind of opportunities. That's why you do your YouTube. That's why we have our show. We just want to get the truth out there and share the love of Christ with other people. And, you know, bring about, as I, as I say, try to bring about the fullness of the Gentiles, because the sooner, sooner we do that, the sooner we're out of here. So, <laughs> so, oh, stop the tape. Stop the tape. I wanted to quickly air that one minute short that uh, Dr. Tour just talked about or that we just talked about in our interview. So let's air that now. 
I was addressing a big group of people at an Ivy League university this week, and we were talking about origin of life, but for some reason I got zero scientific questions. People kept asking about my faith. Or do you feel like uncomfortable because of your religious views? So I, I didn't inject any religious convictions that's in, not in my, my talk. That's true. Okay. But nevertheless, but, but, you have some. So. I think it was because they were trying to use it as an excuse for my not going along with their nonsense proposals on origin of life. And at one point I said, look, my faith in Jesus Christ means more than me than anything. Now, there is a Christian guy there wrote to me afterward and he said, you never should have said that in a gathering like that. It made you sound like some fanatic. This is life. What I was giving them was life. What I was presenting to them was a way out. Somebody who's passionate about Jesus. I'll tell you, there is a narrow way that leads to life. Praise the Lord. Fred, it's great to have a guy like Dr. Tour on our team. I mean, we don't have to agree on everything. We agree on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. We agree he's the Lord. We agree that he can save us. We agree that we just need to believe. It's an honor and it's just awesome and humbling to know that we're on the same team of the same mighty, awesome creator God. Exactly. And you know, Doug, so the interview finishes with him making an offer to anybody listening that they can call him if they have any questions about the resurrection of Christ and he will talk them through it and believes, you know, he hopes that within a minute of, of an explanation, he can convince them of the resurrection of Christ, which is wow. really cool. So we'll go ahead and run the end of that interview that will take us to the end of the show. Is there any other final thoughts you'd like to share with us before we uh, end this show? Well, thank you for this opportunity and thank you for getting the word out. And what I'd like to say is, if you do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you truly do not believe that, then send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. Tour at drjamestour.org. We'll get together and give me an hour to share with you why I embrace that. My guess is that you'll come out believing right after that hour. That's, that's usually what happens. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, well, again, thank you very much, Dr. Tour. It was a great honor having you on the show. So for my co-host, Doug McBurney, and Dr. James Tour, I'm Fred Williams of Real Science Radio. May God bless you. about.